welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bloodthirsters from our bloodletters, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber, and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host, Christopher Kralin Allen. Howdy ho. Who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Super true. And my dear brother, Darren. Who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Ignorance. Stupidity. Oh, you absolute cock juggler. That was a good one, though, Kral. You, although he did come stupid, it was at the right tone. I think he came out <laughs> at the right note, didn't he? <laughs> Please don't call me stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> so stupidity. <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking this, but I am anyway. When they make the feature film of Laying Down the Law, the podcast, I think <laughs> Darren will be played by Jack Black. I just... Do you, think, do you see that? Do you think that's fair? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, since we're on it, Darren, who do you think is going to play Ben? Who would you cast as Ben? Tilda Swinton. <laughs> <laughs> fair. <laughs> and you... You crawl, oh, Peter Dinklage. Yeah, exactly. Was it <laughs> was it Warwick, the guy from Warwick Davis? Warwick Davis. Do you say they released a new Willow? There's a TV yes. series. Yeah, I TV saw series. that. That looks awesome. We watched the first two episodes. The most compelling character so far is Willow's daughter. Right. She's just. I want to see. I want to see her in everything. She's fantastic. Um, I'm assuming Val Kilmer isn't in it anymore. No. No. He'll make a cameo. You know he will, like in like season. As a boulder in the background. The <laughs> <laughs> Mute landslide Val Kilmer, yeah. <laughs> he is one chunky monkey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was my birthday. I think it was I think I was like ten or eleven, maybe. And mum arranged a, a party for me and my friends and we went to the cinema and it was a surprise and it was willow and when it came on i was sat next to my mum and that first scene it's all like dark and thunder and lightning and it's in yeah. the kind of witch's tower and she's doing that stuff and it was like at the time i was absolutely terrified and i remember kind of turning to my mum and whimpering like why have you brought me to this on my birthday <laughs> <laughs> she loves telling that tale yeah, it really is unlike Mumsy to throw stuff in your face. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, Crowley, drum roll. Hello, Reichland. It's time for Sarat's Abu Recap. Hey! Cool. I'm so confident about this. I haven't got any notes up. This is going to go oh, shit. amazing. <clears throat> Okay, let me just hone into my zen-like state where I can... Nope, it's gone. (laughs) We're boned. (laughs) No, no, I got this. I got this. Okay, okay. Um... This would be an ideal time for Tony Blackburn. (laughs) Okay, well, he might just just show his head. We'll see. We'll see. So, last month, we learned about the origins of the Strigoi vampire bloodline. Bam! Wrong! No, <laughs> right, <laughs> correct, Kralin, I think is the answer you were looking for. And then Alcadazar 
kills Nagash. Boom. Alcadazar then grabs a bunch of Nagash's swag and does a death march up to some icy place in the mountains. For listeners, he has his eyes closed. I think I'm this... thinking hard. I'm thinking hard. <laughs> Alcadazar. We can only see one hand. Freezes. <laughs> Let me gesticulate a bit more. He freezes his nuts <laughs> off. Why is your and... right shoulder pumping up and down? <laughs> a contemplative jerk. He turns into a king sickle. He gets washed down the river to the Badlands. <laughs> yeah. Gets discovered by a necromancer. I think it's a necromancer called Cadon. Boom. Cadon <laughs> finds Nagash's crown. Sorry, the crown of Nagash on the frozen Alcadazar. Puts the crown on his head. Spaloosh. The crown possesses Cadon. This is taking forever, isn't it? The, cow- the crown possesses Cadon. <laughs> Cadon's like, right, I'm going to build an empire and it's going to be full of undead. <laughs> Zap. The crown then has no use for Cadon because Cadon's dying and there's nothing that can be done about it. So the crown does a necrotic yodel, yodely, <laughs> and Ushuran, one of the original Strigoi, comes calling, answers the necrotic yodel. And comes and kills Cadon and all his shush, 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 shush. Train of thought, Ben. (laughs) Destroys Cadon. No, that was my finishing move. Both of you, shush. (laughs) I concentrate here. (laughs) Usharan destroys Cadon, builds up his own little Strigoi vampire thing going on. Simultaneously, Vorag also builds his own alternative Strigoi thing in the fortress of Vorag. Bam! I, I think. And then... <laughs> wait, 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 wait! Hold on. And then Ushuran gets all confident and starts calling out to all the other vampires and hey, we don't have to wait in hiding anymore. And he even sends the message, let's come and come and hang at this fortress in the gash and let's let's be vampires and loud and proud about it. To which his sister, Neferata, thinks, oh, I could take advantage of this situation because I really hate my brother, Ushuran, the Strigoi. So I'm going to use my influence to cause some trouble with some human tribes on one side of Strigoi, one side of Ushran's thing to distract him whilst I manipulate and influence some greenskins to attack from the other side. And bam! It kind of backfires. All the vampires kind of get die and get scattered. There's a lot of bam going on, isn't there? But wait, Ben, there's more. <laughs> because there? oh. we thought Nagash had been slayed by the hand of Alcadazar 1,200 years ago, but no. Nagash had returned. Mark's out of 10? Yeah, it was all right. (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) That was tiring. Yeah, it was. Right up in my head. It was it was tiring watching Kral burn up all of his energy for the day, accessing (sighs) a little used muscle in his body, his brain. The brain isn't a muscle. Actually, it it's might be a muscle. Brain. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll find you're wrong, as far as I'm aware. So I'm now going to be stupid for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> all my cunning. <laughs> Counter to your normal state. Exactly. Contrary to your normal state. Yeah, that was that was surprisingly detailed for off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. Did you? Yeah. Did you not hit a bong last, like before the record, as usual? 
No, no I think no. what's happened is he got up in the middle of the night and printed out a cheat sheet, which is lying on his desk. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. He, had, he had his eyes closed, but he's actually looking at the wall and he's just hung out on the wall and buying the camera, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. you could, or, you, you, and I'm just going to... You, you absolute cunts. Just like, I do a half-decent <laughs> job and he gets sceptical. You get really I was just suspicious. about to You're say like, something nice. Hmm. Was that motherfucker that? actually listening? I'll tell you what I did. I, I just listened to the show again yesterday. I was just like, I I was like I'll just hit play. I'll refresh myself. Yeah. Nice. And it was a good, it was a good episode. It was really fucking good. So I, I enjoyed listening to it. So fuck it was you good. both. I was just about to say, Ben, maybe he's just better than you. Uh, it's true, because I don't remember anything. That was basically like a whole new episode to me. Even the, the thought of that even worries me, Darren, I'll be honest. Yeah. Like, no way. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. Anyway. <laughs> What's the podcast version of Tumbleweed? <laughs> Just like static. Our first episode? I don't know. <laughs> Our first 25 episodes. This is it. Actually, the, no, three se- the three, yeah, the three seconds after I make any joke. Yes. Yep. yep. There it is. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I actually realized the other day while listening back to some episodes that I think one of the things that Dar has said most throughout these now 25 recordings is that was a X joke. You can both go fuck yourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that's a t shirt. Yeah. 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 Do you have to yeah. use that during the day, you know, with the family as well when you crack? <laughs> 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 that wasn't a joke you can all go fuck yourselves <laughs> yeah uh, go clean your room and go fuck yourself I've got like the legal papers to initiate a divorce framed on my desk so I just tap it anytime something doesn't I don't like happen I tap it smashing emergencies only <laughs> <laughs> it has backfired because every now and then Vic will ask me to do something I won't do it and she'll tap it <laughs> yeah. the little toffee hammer she's called my bluff <laughs> right so Strigoi last month what's the crack this month right I've got summon up my energy well last month we had a t- <laughs> what a run up <laughs> It's like the Black Adder thing when he teaches them to roar before he does a speech yeah. in theatre. Roar! Like, <laughs> roar! That's accustomed as I am. Hang on, I've got to get my legs apart. I've got to get my legs really far apart. <laughs> oh, fuck. So, right. as Kral alluded to in his strangely specific update, uh, or recap, that Nagash had returned. Uh, and bum, had bum, returned bum. to to his black pyramid in in Kemri. So he had been turned into a cloud of black ash. Uh, cloud when of Nagash. Al- <laughs> the something of someone. <laughs> the something of someone. Someone something. So okay, let's let's cloud... not flog that horse too much. Okay, go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a horse, and what are we doing to it? Um <laughs> So after Alcadazar had killed Nagash, the Skaven in Nagashazar leapt upon the remains, diced them into a million little pieces, and flung them into a warp fire furnace, rendering 
all of Nagash's mortal remains, with the exception of his hand, really want to see those fingers, uh, into black ash, which floated, caught by the black wind of Dar and blown out into the wider Warhammer world. Then over a few, several hundred years, the ash was drawn to the Black Pyramid, which is why the Black Pyramid was construction. It's an immortality engine for Nagash. Wow. He was drawn back into the various pipes and flues and other words that mean the same thing into the <laughs> the sarcophagus where the flakes started to join together very much like an evil twirl and then kind of liquefied and reformed into his body over uh, hundreds of years. Just had an image of as this like cloud of ash is just like kind of coalescing and stuff and just making a pile on the floor. Consuela from Family Guy just comes up with like a feather duster and a pan. <laughs> and just yeah. to it. It's like, no. No, <laughs> Nagash, no. <laughs> Uh, does it? I mean, it sounded like it. He must have turned into various forms before that, like an evil piece of beef jerky. I think what happened was it was the remains of an evil bonfire, which then turned into evil mulligatawny soup, <laughs> which then started to turn into evil minestrone soup, <laughs> and then into some sort of evil Irish stew. What's what would ne- what would the next one be? Some sort of evil noodle dish, and then, a then into then a burrito, and then into some sort of what, like a, a, a lamb on the bone, like a chop, mm. uh, shank, and then yes, shank. Well, no, shank you, uh, mm. and then lots of, <laughs> uh, and then the hanging gardens of Babylon, Nagash. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. So he erupted from the sarcophagus. I suspect he might have just gotten out normally, but erupting (laughs) sounds better. Um, Triumphantly to an empty room. Triumphantly. (laughs) There's nobody about. I'm back. It's me. Oh, Oh, okay. I really should. Where was was that welcome party? Yeah. Like an excited teenager breaking out of a giant chocolate egg. <laughs> <laughs> an opportunity we all had as teenagers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, he climbs, well, not really climbs, he kind of walks, struts. He struts up the steps yes. within the pyramid to get to the very top. And yeah, and while he's doing that, it's there's whatever the evil version of the Bee Gees is playing. The, <laughs> yeah. the, the, you can tell by the way. Uh, 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 not staying alive. Not staying alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> staying undead. Staying undead. <laughs> That's the one. Excellent. So at the top, he does some sort of evil star jump slash orgasm as he's struck <laughs> by evil light we're just going to take evil as red okay for yeah, 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 anytime yeah, yeah, yeah. anytime there's a verb or a noun it's going to be evil maybe an, okay. even an adjective but to be very clear an evil adjective uh, so he <laughs> he uh, he is reinvigorated uh-huh. by uh, the lightning much like a kind of neutral frankenstein and then he goes off into the city to gain control of the dead now you have to remember just before he died he raised the entire country, the entire population 
of uh, Nehekara from the dead. They had all died due to a plague. I'm not going to say monkeypox, but monkeypox adjacent, uh, and had... Odda, I, I have a question about the, the Black Pyramid. You said it was like an immortality engine. Yes. It, seemed, it sounds like it was designed specifically to coalesce him as a cloud of ash. Did he predict that he was going to be burned and turned into a cloud? No. Women's intuition. <laughs> <laughs> Evil women's intuition. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is going to be a long episode. Go. <laughs> its primary focus was to pull the Black Wind of Dar into itself. He envisaged, however, that if he were to die, his immortal soul would be drawn back into the system and he would be able to rebuild his body for almost purely from the wind of Dar, from uh, nothing. Okay. So, um, so, the, so, so the, the, the kind of material, that the ash and the flakes were almost neither here nor there because even if he hadn't been burned, like say he'd just been killed and his soul kind of passed on then into the wind of Dar, it would have coalesced back into that pyramid and he would have been able to build his body from that. Yes, but because there were remains, he was able to do it slightly faster than ah, just by... Gotcha. Uh, right. In a mere 1,200 years. If, right, sorry, <laughs> final question. If if he had been just killed, and then his body was just kind of somewhere, and then his soul went into the Wind of Dar, and then it coalesced in the pyramid, and he rebuilt his body, would it be like when you die in certain video games, you can go back to where you died and see your body, your old body? <laughs> and, 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 no, I'm not. <laughs> and pick up your stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and do oh, I my inventory. The loot that I looted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's technically true, though it has not happened to him. Because we, if you recall, I think it was last episode or the first vampire episode where we discussed that it's possible for there to be a ghost as part of a ghost's kind of horde oh, in yeah. the army. And, the... and the body of the person who became the ghost is yes. there as a zombie or a skeleton. Yeah, so that yeah. is possible. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, we have an example of that. That actually, it's not only possible, it's actually true. You've hit it on the head there, Ben, because when he reformed, he didn't have his hand. Ah, interesting. Uh, there's some evidence that that was because it was like a magical warp stone infused fell blade that sliced it off, and a bit of his spirit went into the hand to keep it animated. Right. Um, like an escape pod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, maybe he just wanted it to feel like it was someone else. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> So Nagash is out in the streets trying to gain control of the dead citizens of Kemri. One has to recall that just before Nagash was killed by Al-Khadazar, he had resurrected the entire population of Nehekara as uh, skeletons or zombies that became skeletons ultimately. Um, but he had not been able to exert his control. That was the next stage, was he was going to exert his total domination over the psyches of the dead and thus bind them to him so he could have full control over what they did. But he had been killed before he was able to do that. 
which means that you had a lot of really bored, sentient skeletons walking around, you know, guided by the kind of pharaonic tomb kings. You have to remember, when he raised the dead, he raised all of the dead, including the preserved bodies of the kings oh, wow. uh, and queens. His own, his own father and his brother? I think so, perhaps, yes. Which Weird. was uh, Q-Tip and, and his Thutip. brother Thutip. Um, <laughs> oh, the tips. A-Tip, B-Tip, and C-Tip. They, they were write-offs. They couldn't be, uh, they couldn't be reanimated. But they were in open rebellion against Nagash as soon as they saw him. It's like an on-site kind of deal between the dry dead and the wet dead, especially concerning Nagash, because they knew what he had done. And so there were in immediate skirmishes. He was able to exert some control over a very, very limited number of the Kemrian dead, but he effectively was pushed from city to city. And when he realized that he couldn't gain full control, he abandoned Nehekara with his small band of merry dead travelers and headed to Nagashazar. Mr. Chris. Mm. What were the tomb kings and undead exactly unhappy with Nagash about? That they were dead, they were happy being resting in peace, and then they got disturbed and they're now walking undead people. Is that they're pissed off about or that I think we find being undead and reanimated but you try to control us I think it's a, it's one of these kind of noble obligations in terms of the tomb kings they view themselves the actual leadership view themselves as the sole king of a city and they're the sole king of that city in the correct order of the gods and order of hierarchy and life so not only has Nagash usurped that order mm. and drawn the spirits of the dead back from whatever their version of heaven is to exist once again in Warhammer world but he also destroyed the entire civilization the civilization effectively the mm. happy go lucky you know jaunty comedy mime troops that whole thing just gone but also because these were kings they didn't want to be ruled and he's tried to control them as you said and tried yeah. to rule them Okay, but also, yeah. when he raised, you know, like the great king Setra, when he was raised back to dead, he wasn't the only king. All of the kings came back. Oh, shit, yeah. Ooh, it's a crowded room, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. This is awkward. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so there was lots of kind of civil war and uncivil okay. war. And... um yeah, so it was a roiling, churning battle for supremacy mm. until things started to get evened out. And they had established a new sort of hierarchy and culture, and Nagash again threatened to usurp that. It just keeps he keeps upsetting the status quo. Like one minute we're dead, we've passed on, you know, we've we've made peace with the fact that we're dead, and now you've raised us, and now there's all of us here, and now none of us can rule, yeah. and now you want to try and rule us. What the fuck, Nagash? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have been a great Tomb King, Chris. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> what's the matter with you? Hey! <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. I think Nagash is the bee's knees. He's my favorite character in fiction and wargaming ever. Mm. But also, he's a high-maintenance drama bitch shit-stirrer. <laughs> maybe that's why i'm attracted to him i don't know do you know what that our, our father has an, a kind of unhealthy obsession with house you know the show with uh hugh with laurie hugh laurie 
And yeah. and and we think that it's because in the show the house just gets to say whatever the fuck he likes and the rest of the world just has to deal with it. I think that's Yeah, Dar's... and our dad's not like that at all. He's not like that at all. No. Fucking hell. <laughs> but but maybe that's that's where that's do you think there's a similarity there in terms of your obsession with the gash? You know, you want to be the the shitster. <laughs> Did you just say I have an obsession with gash? <laughs> you might. I know I do. <laughs> nah, mate. Nah, gash for me. Nah. <laughs> nice. Bye. Nice. Oh, yeah, maybe. I, th- I, I like the idea of actions without consequences because I have experienced none of that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate oh. freedom of not caring, I think that would be amazing and also terrifying. Yeah, because yeah. he's kind of decoupled himself from any sort of system of responsibility, isn't he? By you know, who dad or Nagash? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so many similarities. <laughs> I, I reckon dad's got a pyramid somewhere, <laughs> and he will coalesce once again <laughs> after his death. <laughs> yeah, we'll be in our eighties and nineties, just going, "Oh fuck's sake!" <laughs> <laughs> <He's> back. <laughs> Nagash arrives at the gates of his mighty fortress, Barador. I mean, Nagashazar, and he sees that it's overrun with ratty Skaven bastards who have not only taken control of the entire fortress, but have mined Crippled Peak, the warp stone of Crippled Peak, to within an inch of its life. And so the captain of the gate, the Skaveny captain of the gate, refuses entry to this kind of weary, evil Gandalf. Uh, Go away, you his... silly English big dog. <laughs> <laughs> we fart in your general direction. <laughs> uh, yes, the Skaven captain refuses him entry and threatens to send out forces if he doesn't bugger off. Behold, go away or I will taunt you a second time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Your mother was a hamster. <laughs> <laughs> and your father was an archaeologist. Uh, (laughs) because Nagash had built the entire fortress himself and imbued all of the bricks and mortar and stone and wood and plasterboard and other things you build things with (laughs) he um, speaks one word and the Skaven garrison melts Shazam like Shazam like pouring tomato soup over a chicken carcass and then he speaks another word, which I'm going to guess is something along the lines of sesame. And <laughs> the doors swing open, and Nagash, in a single afternoon, retakes Nagash's R as effectively there's a tide of death that goes from the very top, and you guessed it, to the very bottom, <laughs> uh, and renders all of the Skaven into uh, skeletons. And he immediately starts to rebuild the fortress. He marches into his throne room, has some sort of LSD-type flashback to his own death, looks at the stump of his right arm, and immediately reforges a new metal hand, which uh, slots cool. in nicely, very much like Ash from uh, Evil Dead movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. When he returned, of course, his hand was still missing, as was his crown. The crown of sorcery had obviously journeyed through Morcane with Cadon and with Usharan and had then been abandoned into the world by one of Usharan's followers. 
It finally came to rest in a fortress in the Middle Mountains called Blood Keep. Blood Keep had been the kind of fastnet of a necromancer. Guess why? Because the stupid fucker had put the crown on <laughs> and had become possessed by the spirit of Nagash, became a necromancer, and had attracted the attention of a young Emperor Sigmar, who <sighs> had decided that, no, you know what? Necromancy is, to quote him in his own language, verboten. Uh, so he went um. down with a healthy-sized army, took the keep, and captured the crown of Nagash, which is Nagash's own crown, in the shape of a crown. He then... <laughs> he then marched away... <laughs> All right, Chris. <laughs> oh, I've lost it. Go on. He then returned to the kind of newly formed capital of the empire, which was back then known as Reichdorf, later to be known as Altdorf, because it became goth and emo. The... <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Uh... <laughs> so every time someone mentions something like that, I always reminds me when I was growing up in Edinburgh, they'd have adverts on the side of buses uh, for Iron Brew, and there was just this one that just had this massive picture of like a really grumpy dude with white makeup and black clothes. And it just said, Iron Brew, cheer up, goth. <laughs> Very <Excellent>. good. <laughs> so Nagash, keen to reunite with the other 60% of his spirit, sends out his messengers and scouts to try and locate the crown. He has a feeling it's somewhere beyond what would become the border princes into the fledgling empire. So he focuses his forces' attention on there and they ultimately get a sense of it, it's in the empire, but it's warded by various magical oh, things okay. and dwarven runes. Mr. Chris? At this point, did you say Sigmar had obtained the crown by now? He thought, I need yes. to... Yeah, so Sigmar is in possession of it. So at this point, Nagash is thinking, right, the crown is over there. He might not know this specifically, but it's with Sigmar at this point. And did Sigmar get it from the ruins of the the fights? Where, where did he obtain it from? Where did he get it from? Because Brass Keep. Brass Keep. Brass Keep. Brass Keep in the okay, ended up Brass Keep after the big war of the Strigoi mess. At Nagash yes, yeah. Well. It's yeah. several hundred years later, yeah. Got it. Got so it. did... Sigmar know that it was Nagash's crown, or did they just know that it was he a crown of evil? Exactly, the latter. He sensed it had bound to it a malicious spirit, so he right. didn't put it on, and it was very much like Raiders of the Lost Ark at the end. It was put in a box and put in a room with other right. boxes. The ultimate safe place. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Nagash gathers together his forces of skeletons and ghouls primarily, and some level of cavalry, and then uh, reanimated uh, monsters and heroes. So he marches up through the Badlands, if you might, he's Badlands adjacent. He's about two thirds of the way down on the right as you look at a map. Uh, and so he marches up the World's Edge Mountains, goes through Skyscraper Pass and into what would eventually become Stirland in the Empire. 
he immediately comes across the Menogoth tribe, which are one of the 12 tribes of the empire. They kind of get a sense that there's, well, they, you don't really get a sense that you're facing an undead army. They are presented an undead <laughs> army. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, one of them got their Bristol squish scale out and was like, yep, yeah. well, these, these guys are, they're undead. They're a 10. <laughs> they're, <undead. laughs> they're a 10 on the dryness scale. Yeah. So a herald of Nagash, which is a person who works for Nagash and is a herald, uh, walks out uh, and asks to speak to the leader of the, the army, who's uh, the kind of Menagothian king. As they're having a conversation, the king notices that this is an emaciated, effectively animated lich, an ex-necromancer, or ex-wizard from Nehekahara. So, you know, very much like a lesser powerful mummy had come out to ask for information on this crown and directions to the crown and anything to do related to the crown. The Menagothians are zero interest in helping the dead. And as soon as this becomes apparent, an enormous white, which is this skeletal champion, which is the reanimated, well, this one's particularly was the reanimated corpse of a mighty chaos warrior, comes barreling towards the army, crushing its own forces as it comes he, forward. Did he Leroy Jenkins it? <laughs> but he stopped. It was just a threat. He stopped in line with the lich messenger. And then this shadowy, dark, shadowy figure appeared, uh, and the Menagothian realized that they were dealing with a, a real old power, almost like a godlike power. And they sensed that their fledgling empire was under threat, so they just attacked, ultimately to no avail. And unfortunately, the Menagothian dead, which included all of the Menagothians, uh, <laughs> were reanimated as zombies, filling out the army of Nagash. Then Nagash, very much like the invasions of the Greenskins we spoke of a few episodes ago, they sweep up through the Southern Empire and then up towards Reichdorf. And as they're going through this, they're just decimating everything they find. It's wow. very much just a uh, like an undead wah. Yeah, it's an undead wah. Uh, as they're sweeping through, they're, they're scything through the Empire. Um, and obviously more and more information is coming back to Reichdorf, coming back to Sigmar and his uh, lieutenants and generals and discovering that, you know, what the hell is going on? What What is this force uh, and what is driving this force and what are they after? Uh, one of uh, Sigmar's chief lieutenants was this kind of wise man uh, called Eorath who hit the books. He hit the great library and going back through all the legends and lore and back through dwarven records and perhaps even an interesting podcast on the matter, uh, he, <laughs> discussed, he learned that the driving force of this army was this necromancer referred to as Nagash, who was hated by everyone, including the dead. And then going back through the books he he had access to one of the books of Cadon, so he learned all about Strigoi, Morkain, and the the events that led up to the establishment of that thing, including the fate of Prince Alcadizar, the crown of sorcery, which then obviously they put two and two together and say, hang on, do you know that evil crown we found by that necromancer <laughs> in Brass Keep? 
that might be the crone of Nagash. Uh, so ne- necromancers, is that what they do? Like you say, Cadon, he wrote some books as well. They just write books about themselves. Well, if, if you recall, it was the crown trying to get Cadon to recreate the books of Nagash. Oh, I see. He just really wants to get published, this crown. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got some great material. I've got some, I know it's, it's going to be a winner. Fifty Shades of Dead. It's yep. be Oprah's Book of the Week. And if and if all oh. necromancers write books, then it stands to reason that anybody that writes a book is a duck. What? Is a duck. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so with this discovery, Sigmar works out a cunning plan. Because at the minute the forces of Nagash are sweeping, they're starting to spread out and sweep around the empire. And what they're trying to do is kill as many people as possible to make their own army Mm. as large as possible while still hunting for the crown. They know it's in the empire, but it's been warded against kind of magical detection. So they can't really find it. So they're they're constantly searching. Uh, Much like the shadowy guys from that famous book about the ring. I can't remember. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sigmar thinks, right, we need to bring these bastards to heel, but in obviously in German. So he says, do you know what? Fuck this guy. And he puts the crown on. Amazing. He actually goes down, gets the crown. Sigmar puts the crown on and it's like a beacon. So it'll be like, Nagash will be having a chat with someone and then suddenly he'll go, huh? (laughs) Just prick up. (laughs) Boink. (laughs) <laughs> and does he just have like a like instant live feed with Nagash at that point? He's like, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. Sorry, who are you? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing in my head? New crime. Who this? <laughs> <laughs> so Nagash now knows exactly where the crown is. So gets all his armies back together and heads straight for Reich Dwarf. Reich dwarf? Reich dwarf. Reich dwarf. <laughs> Reich dwarf. It's a very, it's a very right wing dwarf. Uh, <laughs> another three thousand years of the dwarven Reich. Uh, so <laughs> head straight for Reich dwarf and lays siege to it himself. I mean, not totally himself. He has an army. That would just be weird. Uh, so. Screaming at the walls, ah! Yeah. <laughs> Taking off his metal glove, throwing it at the door, and it scuttles back, and he just keeps doing that, and eventually it'll erode away. <laughs> so, so when Sigmar puts the the crown on, is he just too powerful for for Nagash to control him? Yeah, well, the spirit in the crown, which is part of Nagash but separate, it can't. There's, there's no inroad. He's just too awesome. His willpower is too great, too impervious. Yeah, too uh, spiritual penetration. So yeah, so the siege lasts a few weeks, and there's really it's almost a stalemate. So Sigmar decides, you know what? I'm just going to go out and call him out. So the doors are flung open. He sallies out. And Nagash makes a beeline for him because, you know, the crown. That's my goddamn hat. That's my goddamn hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they, they enter single combat and there is an apocalyptic battle. There is a blistering amount of dark magic being cast out by Nagash, but it's being deflected by not only Sigmar's natural awesomeness, but also he's wielding Gal Moraz. 
the skull splitter of dwarven fame. And so they're, they're hacking back and forth at each other. And eventually, Sigmar gives out this great kind of battle roar slash <laughs> rage as accustomed as I am. <laughs> and launches in his speech. He does a full Leroy Jenkins and, <laughs> and uh, basically crashes the hammer into Nagash's carcass, into his chest. At which point, a new rune blazes on Galmaraz, one that's never been seen before or since. It flares up in this kind of enormous blue-white uh, light, and Nagash screams as only a person who gets a really bad paper cut can, and just a huge vocalization of pain and anguish, and then Nagash explodes. He just disappears completely. He's vaporized on the spot by the power of a dwarven hammer. As he is killed, the entire undead army collapses to the ground, with the exception of some of his vampiric lieutenants, the ones that he was able to get back to into his service. They flee into the old world ahead of the kind of vengeful imperial army. And that's really the last we see of Nagash for many thousands of years. Uh, Until he materializes into Nagash again 1,200 years from now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the whole thing starts again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're really a hard man to entertain, Grant. Um, <laughs> he's very cynical. He's very cynical, man. Have you noticed? You'd think he'd be getting into the flow of it by now. You know, We've been out yeah. 25 episodes, for God's sake. I'm getting the gist. Nagash is undiable. Got it. Yeah, okay. Cool. <laughs> Nagash dies, wink. Uh, and, <laughs> and to help secure the empire from the influence of the dead and from future incursions from the dead, uh, Sigmar creates an order of warriors called the Order of the Silver Hammer, inspired by the moment Galmaraz exploded the uh, great (laughs) necromancer. This organization eventually becomes the Temple of Sigmar and the Witch Hunters. So this is really Uh... where the Witch Hunters are formed because it's their first great battle against the kind of dark magical forces of Warhammer World. Uh, And with that, Nagash and eventually Sigmar pass into memory. Again. Uh, Again. (laughs) (laughs) Yawn. Yawn. You're you're a hard man, Chris. You're a hard man. If you're a necromancer, the chances are you're also an author. An author of spellbooks, magic scrolls, of diabolical recipes and elixirs, and, more than likely, writing it all in third person. How do we know this? We are Black Pyramid Publishing, the leading book and text publishers specialising in necromancy, dark magic, and haberdashery. Black Pyramid Publishing have been trusted by wielders of the Winds of Dar, the Undead, and crochet enthusiasts for over four and a half thousand years, and are responsible for the success of notable works such as The Great Spellbook of Caddon, Secrets to a Seamless Tank Top by Hemlock Stitchbrow, and of course, Necro's Digest Read of the Month, The Nine Books of Nagash, now available as an audiobook, narrated by Chris Rock. So whether you're writing memoirs of your necromantic life's work, 
scribing unspeakable spells to raise the dead, or want to share your favourite stitching yarn methods? Black Pyramid Publishing are here to help you succeed with your narcissistic, self-indulgent publishing dreams. The, the dead, the return to their kind of reclining poses. And that's really, for several hundred years, the last kind of important event in, involving the Empire and the dead. Nothing really happens with vampires or necromancers for several hundreds of years as they're keeping a low profile. Because obviously people are aware that these beings exist. Uh, and there's now an organization out there hunting them down and killing them whenever they get the chance. So there's probably many skirmishes and, you know, things that are kind of swept under the carpet in terms of dealing with the dead, but nothing is broadcastable within the Empire. Mr. Chris? A discussion point, really. So I'm just wondering why the vampires or the undead are important enough to get their own gang of witch hunter elite warriors to specifically go after them. But I guess the undead, as you've explained before, Nagash specifically, is one of the prominent evil powers in the world. And so anything related to him deserves its own kind of kill squad to go after them and try and end necromancy and dark dark magic. Yeah, you know? and further is that to that, right? isn't, yeah. isn't he the primary source of evil in the world right now because the chaos gates haven't collapsed yet have they the the chaos gates have not only collapsed oh. but the great vortex has been in place because we're at year zero effectively ah, okay sorry i didn't realize uh, we we're within forward. 20 years yeah so the witch hunters really deal with anyone who uses dark magic and indeed anyone who has the potential to use dark magic so it's not only it was initially founded to deal with the forces of undead, mm. but then its remit broadened when you know chaos was folded in and demonologists and this kind of business. So in the first instance, no, because they did warrant that level of attention because effectively half the empire was gone yeah, uh, right, and okay. so needed to be rebuilt. Um, and it was the aim just for them to try and keep the levels of that evil low enough that they could never amass such a big army again. Or eliminate them completely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the witch hunters very much are like the inquisitors of 40k. They can call in any kind of forces that are available to deal with a threat to the Empire because they work under the auspices of Sigmar himself, so they are a religious order. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So a, a lot of the action that happened then with vampires happens in the shadows, trying to assert their own dominance, build up their influence, and effectively try to live longer and longer and longer. Uh, One of the great stories, which we have discussed several times, but never gone into in any detail, is the story of uh, Danny Dyer, uh, who drive in and dived a dragon. So we're referring, of course, to the great warrior Aberash, who was the founding member of the Blood Dragon bloodline, though it was not named such at this time. So we're looking around about 250 years after the foundation of the Empire. So Sigmar is long gone, and the Empire now is ruled by the elect counts and their own elected emperor. So 
Aberash started off life as the captain of the guard for Neferata, or Neferatum, as she was known at that stage, in Lamia. Now, he was a prideful warrior, really focused on being the best warrior in hand-to-hand combat he possibly could be, and, you know, was a champion of champions. Um, and then he went up against a dwarf with a gun, bam, and died. <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that scene out of Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So he was uh, proud of his own abilities. He was determined to never be sullied by any dishonor or any weakness, and very much was a, a Lamian supremacist, shall we say. There was a, He was prideful to the point of killing everyone he could in the defense of his queen. Now, his queen was enamored is perhaps too strong, but she recognized his value as a bodyguard, as a soldier, as a champion, and so invited him to join her exclusive circle. That's not a euphemism. And he refused because he felt that he should master his own destiny of the strength of his own back and not be sullied with the curse of vampirism, as was. Neferatum didn't take no for an answer, and while he was asleep, she forced him to drink the elixir. She elixir-raped him, effectively. Uh, (laughs) That's not going in. Uh, Well, I mean, that's what he said. Um, <laughs> Non-consensual elixiring is what happened. There was it, it was it was a how would you describe it in a more politically correct version? You um, don't have to because the first one's going in, mate. Just carry on. <laughs> uh, when he woke, he was going through this violent transformation as the elixir took hold, and he slaughtered twelve servants and soldiers that were around him in like a blood frenzy and slaked his thirst, which is a great way of saying he drank them. Uh, and is it just like one vial of this stuff, and you are done? Like you're a vampire? It's very much the rusty nail of elixirs. Yes. Wow. If anyone's ever had a rusty nail, yeah. Most is drunk a, I've ever is been. Is that a drink that you can get in the bars of North Berwick? I'll have a rusty nail. It's, it's a, well, it's a drink you can get anywhere, but you might have to order the ingredients separately. It's any single malt scotch and drambuie. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the only think, thing I could relate well, that to in my head is Ray and Nephew. Shot a Ray and Nephew. That is like, it is paint thinner. By by, oh. by anyone's standards, <laughs> the strangest thing as well is like it tastes so abhorrent that after the shot, yeah. you're, you're in the seconds afterwards, your body just goes, "Forget you had that. Just forget you had that because that yeah. wasn't a good." Yeah. Have a shower now, and then and then about yeah. ten yeah. minutes later, <laughs> the room just starts to pulsate, and you're like, "Why is the room pulsating?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's that there's that vampire lady that asked me to join her clique. Um, yeah. Which seems like a great idea right now. So anyway, yes, Aberash went pure mental. And when the red mist descended, both figuratively and literally, he was able to see what had happened and understood his fate. And so he was bound to Neferatum through the elixir, but hated her beyond measure and hated vampires beyond measure and felt so guilty and ashamed at what he'd done to these 12 people that were around him, which some of them, you know, obviously he would have known 
almost all of them and had been comrades and kind of brothers in arms with a couple. Oh, no. Jim. Kathy. Philip. <laughs> no! Was it that kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, that kind of idea. But to honour them, he lit 12 candles every night so that he remembered the price that had been paid for his immortality and his kind of eternal shame. And he kept that up every night throughout the length of his existence, which must have meant he must have had cartloads of fucking candles (laughs) uh, traveling behind him. He's the most well-illuminated vampire in Warhammer history. (laughs) Uh, Pure fire hazard. uh, And so he followed the rest of the vampires when... Lamia fell and joined Neferatum up to Nagashazar, and then Nagash's aborted invasion of uh, Nehekara. And when that failed, the vampires fled, including Abarash, at the, and you know, at the death of Nagash, which meant that everyone was freed from the influence of Nagash. And to some extent, freed from loyalty to Neferatum, now Neferata. Um, and so he just abandoned the world. That was it. He had had enough. So he and a few of his most loyal followers just disappeared into the world for 15, 1600 years. Um, and go ahead, Mr. Chris. At which point did Neferata become Neferatum or vice versa and why? Uh, I think it was at the death of Nagash when she sensed she was free from his influence. I'm going to completely change everything about my life. I'm going to wear red instead of blue. Yeah. And I'm going to change my name from Neferatum. <laughs> wait, wait for it. Neferatum to... She could have had any name in the world. <laughs> Neferata. <laughs> Worst witness protection agent ever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you sure they're never going to find me? Oh, you'll be absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. They'll never suspect a thing. <laughs> Yeah, so Abarash went off and started to search for a warrior that could best him, either a a mortal warrior, an immortal warrior, demons, monsters, maybe a hobbit, who knows? So he spends a few hundred years battling champions from every race in almost every corner of the world and eventually goes into this almost trance-like state where he's constantly just walking or riding, heading to the next champion, which his lieutenants are kind of feeding him information about, oh, we've heard about this guy here who's hard as nails or such and such, such and such. And eventually he kills all... Didn't Grimgore do that as well? Just wandered the plains just looking for a fight. Yeah, absolutely. Chris is nailing it, Ben. Chris is nailing it. And what are you doing sitting there in a non-tank top? I think I think as as we learn more about characters and races, <laughs> like I'm seeing the same plot being yeah. dropped onto each thing. You know, Grimgore is Aberash, is this dude, is that dude. Yeah. Lazy script writing, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Oh no, you you were very specific. You there, really, yeah. You, yeah, you ran out of steam after two names there. <laughs> so what you're saying is that there is a link between two of the stories we've heard. <laughs> yeah, and this guy, and then the other guy. <laughs> you can't see it right now, but the other side of the room, just outside of Chris's camera, is just covered in bits of paper on the wall yeah. with red thread going between them. Like, I figured it out. Mark. It's like, who is this man? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Pepe Sylvia, Pepe Sylvia. Pepe Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, Carol, Carol. <laughs> Can I talk to you about the mail? Can I talk to you about the mail? <laughs> Eventually, Aberash runs out of mortal enemies and moves on to monsters and very quickly minces through monsters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the best nights on at the Black Crag. <laughs> Monday's Mincing Monsters Night. <laughs> Hosted by Denny Dart. <laughs> Two for one on all rusty nails. <laughs> he eventually finds himself walking up into the World's Edge Mountains, up to one of the highest peaks, and he finds himself standing outside a cave and hears the kind of snoring, rumbling roar, uh, probably a fart or two, of a dragon uh, in this cave. Toot. So, toot. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he marches headlong, sword long, into the cave. And if you can imagine any kind of naked gun movie sound effects going on during the fight, you know, Ah, my penis. Um, And over three days, the dragon gives as good as it gets, which is really all you can ask for in a dragon. Um, So the dragon would breathe fire on Aberash, and Aberash and his magical armor would be unaffected. Aberash would plunge his sword into the dragon's flank. The dragon's massive. It's just like, ah, just someone trying to tickle me uh, and swats him aside. But over three days, eventually, he causes the dragon so many wounds on his body that that the dragon begins to fail. And with a huge roar, he plunges his blade straight through the dragon's chest and into its heart and then rips the sword out, having this massive wound that he can see the dragon's heart and realizes the dragon is dying. And as its life force is beginning to leave it, Aberash throws caution to the wind, removes his helmet, and shoves himself into the open chest wound of the dragon and sinks his teeth into the heart and just drinks and drinks and drinks and drinks and absorbs the life force of this dragon, which shatters not only any kind of link to uh, Nagash or Neferata slash Neferatum slash Doris, and ultimately (laughs) breaks the curse of the elixir uh, that has over him. He never needs to drink blood ever again. Uh, But he does it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even need to do this. (laughs) But it's sterile and I like the dicks. (laughs) (laughs) And eventually he comes back from the the, the kind of Danny Dryer Dragon Mountain and hooks up with his followers again, or or meets up with his followers. That's a very different vampire thing. Uh, and, um, And they begin then to try and emulate what he has done because they're desperate to break not only the curse, but to break any hold that any kind of necromancer might have over them or any vampire lord would have over them in the future. And so they spread out into the empire and into the wild, could, wild um, world. The followers, could they not just quickly go up to this cave where this dead dragon is and, and just do the same? <laughs> Get the leftovers. Sh- or is that, yeah, is that, is that sh- <laughs> had that ship sailed? Had the kind of life force That ship itself. Be- yeah, okay. 
Okay. It, because it was to do with the life force of the dragon rather than the blood itself, although the blood yeah, okay. was carrying the, the, the life force. But, um, so they were just yeah. desperate, like grabbing all sorts of lizards, geckos, and skinks. <laughs> yeah. Just going, life on! <laughs> 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 <A> desperation. <laughs> Trying to put your head inside it, like... <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I've got it. He's partly on. They're all standing around with geckos stretched over their heads like condoms. <laughs> the image of Aberash sticking his head into the dragon's wound. Yeah. And like Motorboating. Yeah. Drinking the uh, blood neat directly out of the heart, like with his head completely enclosed in the dragon. I like to think like he was in there for a good few hours, comes out of it. You know, like how babies come out of milk comas when they've been suckling, but like under the blanket for like a few minutes and they just come out like and fuck me. <laughs> Jesus. Where have I been these past fifteen minutes? Where have I been? He needs burping. He needs bending. Uh, yeah, no. He 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 was inside the dragon up to his own waist. He had, like, had climbed <laughs> just in. just a pair of legs <laughs> sticking out. Yeah. <laughs> like the scene out of Pet Detective where he has to get out of that fake rhino's ass. <laughs> the rhino, yeah. <laughs> he looked like a human tick. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of the brother, the brothers Grimsby and the elephant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Grim. So, yeah, so... We have a number of stories like that throughout the millennia. I mean, the next big kind of major event that had huge repercussions within the Warhammer world was an imperial merchant ship. So this is about 600 years later. An imperial merchant ship is raided by kind of Norsican raiders. So these are the kind of chaos marauders, the human chaos worshippers. So ang- angry, angry, spiky Vikings. Um, Spikings. Spikings, yeah. <laughs> Spikings. Noise. Spikings. Noise. And they take over the ship, but when they get onto the ship, when they capture the ship, it's very much like that moment in Dracula. The ship is there, but there's no crew. And what's happened is that the merchant ship had loaded on the body of um, a vampire lord called Luther Harkon, who was of a Lamian line. He was one of the Lamians. When they fled, he got access to the elixir. And he was originally a Lamian noble called Luther, L-U-T-R, Luther. Um, And he quickly overcame the the Spikings uh, and took command of both the Imperial merchant vessel and the the Norse raiders, the, the, the boats there. And they headed off to Lustria, where he founded a, a small empire called the Vampire Coast, which is effectively undead pirates. Uh, and so this is the faction you could play in Total War, Warhammer 2 and 3, I think, where there are you know zombie, zombie pirates, skeletal pirates, undead sea beasts, animated giants uh, made of wood and bone from the carcasses of ships. And he plagues the lizard men of Lustria stealing as many of their artifacts as he can and is in constant warfare with them and kind of a real drain on their resources. But very much, um, oh, what's that movie? The Black Pearl. Pirates of the Caribbean. It's undead vampires. Uh, cool. And so that was folded into the the lore of Warhammer around about the fourth edition, fifth edition, I think, as a kind of, you you were able to create a unit of these Vampire Coast zombies led by a command group, including a very swanky-looking vampire. 
So you have a number of these out-of-the-way empires being created, much like Morcane, much like the Vampire Coast, and really nothing of any significance outside of that happens for another, wow, another thousand years. You do have moments where the undead raise their head, if you'll excuse the phrase, one of them being the, the end of the Black Death, if you recall, that was the Skaven Plague in 1111 oh, yeah. Yeah. that decimated three quarters of the empire's population. The Skaven then came above ground and you know wiped out another, well, three quarters of whatever was left. But after a shower of warp stone lands within what would become Sylvania, I mean, we recall that it had already been well dusted, but there was another kind of more significant shower of warp stone. But that allowed a necromancer called Frederick Van Hall or Van Hell to raise an undead army and effectively wash Skaven away with the blood of the dead. And so this is where the zombie forces save the empire in quotes. And so we see a lot of that going on. Unfortunately, of course, Van Hell, he, he was Frederick Van Hall. He then became Frederick Van Hell, decided, you know what, saving the Empire is, is all one thing. How about ruling the Empire? That might be a bit of a laugh. Uh, and so created vast zombie armies, including a construction to invigorate the zombies. So the traditional Warhammer zombie is very much like the kind of Day of the Dead zombie, slow shambling beings that are to some extent if you don't if you can't destroy them they'll just be on you none of this 28 days later running fucking rage virus that's true but this thing that van hal came up with would allow them to do 28 days later oh. running attacking frenzy in short bursts and so these things are called corpse carts. And the models for them are quite funny because it's, it's effectively a wagon. That's There's no horses. What they've got is they've spikes, metal spikes, nailed through zombies' torsos. And so it's being pulled by zombies who are shambling forward. But it has either a magical brazier, which sends out kind of incense, zombie incense, to get them all judged up or a lodestone through which the necromancer can focus his abilities and boost the attacks of uh. Uh, the zombies that are, are around it. And so this sees the rise of the necromancer, the public rise of the necromancer rather than the vampire as enemy number one within the empire. So this is where the witch hunters start pursuing and persecuting magic users in earnest. Um, so with Van Hall, he builds his own fortress called Valhalden Schloss. Schloss? <laughs> Spoople! <laughs> Spoople! Um, <laughs> and for decades, creates this kind of Van Hall empire within the remnants of what the empire once was. So the empire very much, as it's rebuilding, is rebuilding against a dark reflection of itself cool. um, as, the, as the zombie empire exists. Mr. Chris? All this is like Van So-and-so and Van Helschwig. It's very Flemish, Belgique, Dutch type thing. It, it, is, it, is that where they're from? Is they, they from the Lowlands or something? Uh, I think, I can't remember exactly where Van Hel is from. I think he was originally the Baron of 
Sylvania, but you meant the empire is very Germanic, so it's all Vans sure. and Vons. Yeah, um, okay. But I mean, as we had said in the past, the lowlands, the low countries do exist. It's a uh, Marineburg to the west of the empire, mm-hmm. uh, which is just basically a lot of bogs mm-hmm. and a huge trade port. That's it. Uh, anyway, so uh, Van Hel is ultimately, as seems to be the fate for necromancers, he's assassinated by his own apprentice who steals all his lore, all his books, all his items, and then the undead horde, this army, this empire of the dead, collapses. You know, There's no evidence that uh, Van Hel had access to the crown of sorcery, the crown of Nagash. It was something he was spurred on to do from his own, his own arrogance. We then, you know, within a hundred years, there is another necromancer, Dieter Helsnick, the Doom Lord of Middenheim. He started out life as one of the kind of preeminent magic users within the Empire. We're still a thousand years away from the Colleges of Magic being set up. So it's very much like a, a vizier, a kind of academic magician. And he has great interest in all things magical, all things historical. And so he takes a trip down to Nehekara because he hears that's the place to be. And when he returns, he has drastically changed in both appearance and demeanor and intent. He's much paler. He's much darker around the eyes. He's not a vampire and he's not dead, but he is well on the way to being a corrupted necromancer. Um, and so the the nobles of Middenheim, if you recall, that's the city on the big promontory of rock. They sense this growing darkness within this magic user, this kind of popular magic user. And so... And they said, no, get out. Yeah, said, no, 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 no. And so the Knights of Ulrich and, you know, perhaps a witch hunter or two raced into his his house to have a very, very serious conversation with him. Um, and as they did so, they disrupted his ritual. He was going to raise the dead of Middenheim and conquer the city and turn it into a city of the dead that he controlled. But he was driven out, obviously. He, he escapes into the, the Forest of Shadows, which is the forest around Bindheim. But because there's, there's still so many dead bodies out there, I mean, obviously, they're skeletons now more than zombie. he raises this vast undead army. And once again, the Empire is under siege from the dead. And he kills, you know, every army that's sent against him until the siege of Beekerhoven which is another Dutch-sounding name, Chris. I must apologize. Um, <laughs> Beekerhoven. Mm, mm, mm. And this is one of the the first kind of well-documented instances of Kislev sending forces to the Empire's aid. Uh, mm. So you had like the winged lancers and the horse archers and polar bear riders. Uh, unicyclists. Other unicyclists. <laughs> uh, and, uh, Pogo warriors. <laughs> the Pogo macers. <laughs> yeah, I, I I literally was going. What are they called? Trapezoids. Yeah, they sent the trapezoids in. To, the dodecahedron. <laughs> <Yeah>. Squadron. <laughs> the crallelelogram. <laughs> uh, and so at this great big battle, there's a huge well battle, and um, the. <laughs> Uh, and Dieter is dramatically wounded while on the back of his chosen mount, which is a manticore, which is, as everyone knows, a winged lion with a human's face and a scorpion's tail. Um, 
So a human's face. That's not right. Yeah, human's face. No. <laughs> yeah, an angry human's face. Yeah. That just makes it less intimidating. Surely it's it's got a lion's head. I'm sure a manticore's got a lion's head. Like just a bloke's nope, face. Body, that is like human creepy. Yeah. It has definitely got a human's face, Chris. It is yeah. I'm creepy Googling as fuck. it quickly. Manticore. And I can make it more horrifying because the human's face is Dwight Schrute from The Office. <laughs> <laughs> I think we spoke like about this one. Kind of looks like Chad Kruger from uh, yeah. <laughs> Nickelback. Does it, does it have to be an angry yeah. human? I guess it does, doesn't it? You'd be pretty fucking yeah. angry if you were just a face. Well, you're not going to be happy, is it? <laughs> <laughs> a buzz-eyed manticore. <laughs> and so, as with most of the villains in Warhammer, the steed flies off or marches off and the body is never recovered. Although in this instance, I can spoil it and say he's alive and continues to this day. So he's knocking on a thousand years old. And so he's now a lich. He he would now is still a necromancer, but a, a one that is undead. The curse of vampirism spreads over the old world and into where a vampire known as the Red Duke takes over the city of Aquitaine and terrorizes the population. Really, this is the kind of dark reflection of Arthurian legend. So this is the cursed Mordred figure, the evil knight. And so he has raised, he's got his own undead knights uh, he has what's called black knights, which are skeleton knights, skeleton squires, and raises peasant zombies and so forth and fights on in Bretonia. He's eventually brought to heel by the Bretonian king, who pierces him through the heart with his lance. They don't kill him. That just puts him into like a catatonia. And so... He is boxed up and buried, never to be disturbed again, which unfortunately the Bretonians will come to regret, let's just say in a while. Um, then we come across, unfortunately, to what's referred to as the Night of the Restless Dead. So it's 1681, exactly 1,660 years after being slain by Sigmar, Nagash returns. <laughs> God. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> and so in one night, with this rebirth, one night, all of the dead in the world return. And Fucking hell. Again. Huge. Again. Yeah. <laughs> but like everyone, maybe even pets, I don't know. The goldfish I won down the fun fair reanimates. Yeah. yeah. Up through the toilet bowl. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, Bites my gooch. <laughs> Was your goldfish a piranha? <laughs> Nibble. Nibble with its toothless gums. I think Nagash would have been a lot less intimidating if his name was Nagooch. <laughs> 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 That's the appropriate amount of chuckling for that joke. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, <laughs> so in the, in that night, there are you know settlements across the world are just erased from existence by hordes of the dead. Some of which are under the command of vampires, who have come out of their hiding holes and caves and other things to take command of this kind of reinvigorated undead force. And as quickly as it arrives, it leaves. Uh, and nothing is heard from Nagash. 
he appears to have just simply returned to Nagashazar and recuperated, examining his life, thinking about what he's done, <laughs> uh, journaling. Doing, journaling, getting a memoir what Lessons going. were learned from last time. Right? Yeah. I've got a yeah. third chance. What am I going to do at this time? How am I not going to screw yeah. it up? Does he have his hand at this point? What happened to his hand? We never heard more about that. He has neither the hand nor He's lost both hands crown. now. <laughs> he's got yeah, no hands. He's, <laughs> he's lost a, well, he's got one hand, but he has no feet. Yeah. <laughs> and lost half an ear. Yeah. How how did he how did he come back this time? Was it that bloody black pyramid again? It was the black pyramid again. Oh. Do you remember how I said it was an immortality engine? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. The rest of the world hadn't figured this out yet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um Within a, a hundred years of this, another significant, I think perhaps the most significant event happens since the birth of Nagash or Nagash's rise to power in Kemri is the the marriage of Vlad von Karstein to one Isabella von Drac. And this is where, this is this very moment where Sylvania becomes the realm of the vampire counts. Because Vlad von Karstein, obviously, you, just the name, it might be bigotry on my part, but it sounds vampiric. But Vlad von Karstein actually went by another name. This is Vashinesh, the husband of Neferat. Oh, wow. <gasps> the guy that despised Neferata slash Neferatum of becoming this undead vampire abomination and actually rised against her, didn't he, originally? He did indeed, But yeah. now he is yeah. vampire himself. So he is now not only a vampire, but a legitimate elector count. Wow. Uh, so he is one of the kind of the great nobles of the empire. At this stage, no one really knows that he's a vampire. Isabella becomes a doting wife and also a vampire uh, who just does everything in her power to make sure that he is recognized as an elector count. Um, and is she from the empire? She's an imperial noble, yes. Yeah, she's a, yeah. from the Von Drac family. They were the caretaker elector count family of Sylvania because it was believed that Frederick Van Hal was either, I think he was noted down as being a baron of Sylvania rather than the count of Sylvania, but there's conflicting stories within the lore over his origins. So... Uh, the Von Drac, Count Von Drac, was on his deathbed when Vlad appeared, charmed the pants off of everyone, threw Von Drac's brother out from the window in a move I call defenestration, because that's what it's called, uh, and and married Isabella. So over the next couple of hundred years, he infected all of the noble families within Sylvania with vampirism and ultimately shored up his own power base turning Sylvania into, well, transforming it really, sort of like a Transylvania, turned into <laughs> this kind of area where the dead rule. Wow. Um, so a hundred years after Vlad transforms Sylvania into the realm of the dead, another vampire, one by the name of uh, Wallach Harkon, who was a follower of Aberash, the Danny Dyer dragon drinker, uh, this vampire on the hunt for, again, the greatest warrior. He wants to emulate his his master, as it were, his vampiric father. Um, 
arrives at a little-known castle called Blood Keep. Oh. Uh, and in one night, he defeats all of their best warriors and then slaughters everyone who he views as unworthy and spares a handful of them, a handful of the ones that he judges to be the best and forms a kind of Templar order, a knightly order known as the Ordo Draconis. These are the preeminent vampire warriors, vampire blade masters and soldiers and knights within the undead. Um, they refer to themselves as the Ordo Draconis but the kind of superstitious peasants and the various nobles of the empire refer to them by another name, the blood dragons. So it's this moment where the blood dragon bloodline really comes into its own and adopts this kind of noble vampiric warrior identity. Uh, And you can field units of these guys in vampire counts armies. And they're they're some of the best models out there. So Um, cool. And I think, lads, that's where we should draw a veil because that rounds out the potpourri vampire episode quite well. <laughs> Boom. Amazing. I had two Badass. questions about Abarash. So, firstly, before he became a vampire, before Neferatum turned him into a vampire, he was just yeah. a human. Why was he fighting for her if he knew that she was a vampire? Was he? he she her. was still his queen. Right, she's the queen of Lamia, and he was the captain of the guard. It was his job. It was his duty. Even though he knew that she'd turned into a bit of a fucking munchy, munchy vampire. Well, he only really knew she had become a munchy, munchy vampire when she offered him the elixir. Ah. Uh, and you know, it could have been a day, could have been a couple of days between him rejecting it and her turning him. Gotcha. I just like the ending of the actual genesis of the blood dragons when that last character was like, we're the blood dragons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Horatio. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe. (laughs) Or maybe. (gasps) Wow. (laughs) Tune in next week to find out what the heck happens next. I bet Nagash raises again and again and again and again and again and again. And again. So the second question about Abrash. Um, when he then became cured of vampirism, what do him and his posse do now? Do they try and fight other vampires? Like what's his what's his role? Um he's just existing as a kind of, you know, martial warlord and all-round amazing vampiric knight, and all his followers are still vampires under the curse. They still have their own drive, but what they've done is they've seen how he freed himself, so they're all trying to do something similar, as you noted when you were talking about newts and geckos. Mm -hmm. Skinks. So, so they, so who, does he fight other vampires? Is because you said that he hated vampires, didn't he? Well, he hates vampires, but the, I think the thing he hates more, he has come to hate more than anything else, is humanity. He despises humans, although he still lights those twelve candles every night. Mm. It has come to represent his own loathing of the kind of base, fickle, weak nature of humans. Ah, I see. Uh, that's a process that had started prior to stro- the Stropedo incident, but then, you know, really... It was galvanized. Because he's, 
yeah, he's a he's a being apart. He's a an entity above and apart from wow. his own origins Sounds and like... his own kind of vampiric brethren. Sounds like an absolute badass. Yeah, man. Blood dragons all the way for me in terms of vampire bloodlines, I think. <laughs> yeah, they're cool. Love it. Love cool. it. So uh, next month, we'll round out the the kind of casserole period of vampirism where it's bits and bobs bobbing around in blood stew. <laughs> uh, and then we'll get into the greatest threat the Empire has ever faced, in my opinion, since the last greatest threat, <laughs> uh, known as the Vampire Wars. <gasps> cool. It is cool. It is so cool. Real I mean, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've bit of a semi thinking about it. <laughs> awesome. So is Chris. It's raised him up. My blood dragon is rising. <laughs> right, I'll wrap up. Okay. Wrap up. Alright, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. Details and imagery for the topics we've discussed in this podcast can be found on our website at layingdownthelore.com. We also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind-the-scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. Big thank you to all our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do this without you guys. You cover our costs and allow us more time planning content. If you're not part of this merry band, you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and you want to support us, head over to patreon.com forward slash laying down the lore and sign up today for as little as three pounds. This will give you access to our Discord server so you can come and chat with us directly and there's an ever-growing pile of exclusive bonus content on there as well. We'll be back again next month displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, cheerio. See yous. Ah, 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 ah. Toodaloo.